Welcome to Marrow Masters, sponsored by Farmer Sicklis and Jansen and Cadman, a Sanofi company. The National Bone Marrow Transplant Link, established in 1992, strives to help patients, caregivers, and families cope with the psychosocial challenges of bone marrow and stem cell transplant from diagnosis through survivorship. Season 7 of our Marrow Masters podcast series focuses on chronic graft-versus-host disease and the long haul some survivors face. Unfortunately, chronic GVHD can last for months, even years. This season, we dig deep and hope to provide some relief. We talk to the experts, from healthcare professionals to survivors and caregivers, about the long-term struggles, setbacks, victories, treatment options, and more. We offer an abundance of resources and address all kinds of GVHD-related issues, including despair, advocacy, mobility, nutrition, sleep issues, caregiving, reproductive and sexual health, intimacy, and more. Our guests share their expertise and insight to help those frustrated and struggling with chronic GVHD to persevere and live their best life. Here's your host, Executive Director of the National Bone Marrow Transplant Link, Peggy Burkhardt. Welcome, everyone. Today, we are going to talk to Heather Jim, who is a senior member and co-leader of the Health Outcomes and Behavior Research Program at Moffitt Cancer Center. Heather's going to talk to us about an important subject, sleep. Most of us probably need more. Some of us wish we needed less. And it goes on and on. How does sleep change in survivorship? It's really also interesting. So get cozy as we figure this out together with Heather today. Welcome, Heather. Thank you. So why is sleep so important? Sleep is really important, but scientists don't exactly know why. It's a bit of a scientific enigma. Some lab-based sleep deprivation experiments have led researchers to conclude that deep, non-dreaming sleep is necessary primarily to restore physical energy, whereas dreaming plays an important role in learning, like consolidating new information that was learned during the day, as well as problem-solving and maintaining psychological balance. Well, isn't that interesting? Heather, how much sleep should people get? Well, our sleep needs seem to be biologically determined and vary depending on the person and their age. On average, adults need about eight hours of sleep per night, but sleep needs vary greatly from person to person. Some people can get as little as five hours per night without feeling sleep-deprived, whereas others need nine hours a night to function. Isn't that the truth? <laughs> I'm thinking of people in my own life, and it, it is so interesting how it varies. It does, and it varies by age, too. So normal aging causes the quality of our sleep to change as well. Deep sleep diminishes, and light sleep increases correspondingly. So consequently, an older person is more easily awakened by noise or the movements of a bed partner, which partly explains why sleep problems often increase with age. Okay, so is that partly why older people have no problem taking little naps throughout the day? Yeah, that's a great question. And there's a lot of tie-ins, right, with physical health and memory. And all of those are still just trying to be, you know, scientists are trying to uncover the relationships between sleep and these other outcomes and health. So Heather, we're going to get to the part about the bone marrow transplant recipients. What are some of the sleep problems experienced by bone marrow transplant recipients? So first, it's important to know that sleep problems are really common even among people who have never had a cancer diagnosis or transplant. Um, so approximately 30% of the general population reports some kind of sleep problem. And among transplant recipients, uh, sleep 
kind of varies over the course of their recovery. Um, it's typically difficult during the inpatient stay during the transplant due to noise and staff interruptions and the acute side effects of their treatment. And then in the early months after transplant, about 40 to 60% of patients report not getting enough sleep. Longer term, about 30 to 50% of transplant recipients experience sleep problems. And there are some special features of transplant that may contribute to sleep problems, things like steroid medications to manage chronic GVHD, as well as pain, depression, and anxiety that can worsen sleep problems. Let's talk about the type of sleep problems people have. Yeah, so there are three really common types of sleep problems. Uh, the first is obstructive sleep apnea. Those are pauses in breathing that lead to a poor night's sleep. Uh, then there's restless leg syndrome. Uh, that's a creepy crawling feeling in the legs that prevents sleep at night. And insomnia, which can be defined as problems falling asleep, staying asleep, or waking up too early. A transplant may put recipients at risk for sleep apnea. And a common symptom of sleep apnea is snoring and feeling poorly rested upon waking in the morning. So if your doctor suspects you have sleep apnea, they'll probably do a sleep study and prescribe a CPAP machine, which is something that you wear on your nose and mouth to help even out your breathing. For restless leg syndrome, that creepy crawly feeling is very distinctive. I mean, if you're experiencing that, you'd want to talk to your doctor about prescription medication, which can really help a lot. And then insomnia uh, is probably the most common. If you're experiencing insomnia, it's important to talk to your doctor about ruling out contributing factors. And although many people take sleep medication, a better alternative with less side effects is cognitive behavioral therapy for insomnia, or CBTI. So Heather, what is CBTI and how does one access it? CBTI is based on the premise that when people are trying to improve their sleep, they often inadvertently do things that make it worse. Uh, things like spending too much time in bed, taking a lot of naps during the day, irregular sleep schedules, uh, use of sleeping pills, which can have rebound effects, and then catastrophizing about poor sleep. For example, thinking as they're trying to fall asleep, if I don't get to sleep soon, I'm not going to be able to function tomorrow. And that just kind of stresses people out and makes the insomnia worse. Haven't we all done that? <laughs> <laughs> yes. So CBTI addresses these problems to help people sleep better. The best option to access CBTI is to see a psychologist or social worker who specializes in this kind of treatment. And if that's not possible, there are actually good evidence-based apps called digital therapeutics that are prescribed by your doctor, but you can use on your own, on your phone or, or iPad or tablet, that are based on CBTI. So examples are Shut Eye or Somrist. We will certainly add links to those in our show notes. Thank you. And if digital therapeutics aren't a good option, you can follow the CBTI Seven Rules of Good Sleep. Uh, these can require a lot of discipline to stick to, so it's good to have some support or follow CBTI rules with another person like a caregiver. And the goal is to train your body to sleep and wake up at certain times of day and based on your location, for example, when you're in your bed. So the first rule is to set aside at least one hour to unwind before going to bed. I mean, it's important to develop a routine before bed. You want to avoid screens during this time, avoid work emails, uh, turn down the lights, consider some kind of soothing caffeine-free drink before you go to bed, like warm milk. So rule two is to go to bed only when you start to feel sleepy. 
Rule three is that if you're unable to fall asleep or fall back asleep in less than 20 to 30 minutes, you should get up out of bed and go to another room with low lighting and do something boring, (laughs) like read a boring book, for example. Rule four is to use an alarm clock to get up out of bed at the same time every morning, no matter how much sleep you got. So your body gets used to being on that same schedule. Rule five is to use your bed and bedroom only for sleep and sexual activities to really get your body to associate bed with sleep. Mm -hmm. Rule six is to limit naps during the day, especially after 1 p.m. And then the last rule, rule seven, is to limit the time spent in bed to your actual time sleeping. Okay. Where does caffeine fall in all of that? So caffeine can make people much more sort of wired and awake. So it's good to cut back as much as you can and use it earlier and earlier in the day. Some people find that they really can't use caffeine at all during the day, that it interferes with their sleep at night, even if they drink it first thing in the morning. So it's really best for people to try to experiment and see what time works for them in terms of stopping their caffeine usage. Now, I did have a question about rule number one, Heather. So the set aside at least one hour to unwind before going to bed. Does that include television? It does. It's good to limit screen time, including television, because the blue lights that come from the screen can sort of help you feel more awake. Well, that totally makes sense. It's a bummer for me, though, because I usually end up falling asleep watching my favorite show. How about a radio podcast instead? Uh, You know, I'm loving podcasts. That's a great idea. And actually, I've started listening to quite a few podcasts on my own. There you go. Or, you know, like, There's a lot of meditation apps or relaxation apps or guided imagery type apps that can help people relax before bed too. That is an excellent point. And we have had other speakers talk about Calm and different apps like that. So I'm glad you mentioned that. And we will also include those in the show notes. Thank you. Sure. Terrific. Wow, Heather, this has been great. Let's have you draw on an experience or two. I mean, you get to meet with lots of people. Any pearls of wisdom from some of your patients that were maybe struggling or even a caregiver uh, that you might want to share? Yeah, and it's important to realize when you mention caregivers that for caregivers, transplant can be more stressful for them actually than the patient themselves. So it's really important that the caregiver takes good care of themselves and tries to get as much good sleep as they possibly can. I once knew a person who was only sleeping two to three hours per night, and she didn't want to take uh, medication. So she tried cognitive behavioral therapy for insomnia, and she really discovered that good sleep habits can make a really big difference. Before she tried CBTI, she was so tired during the day that she didn't trust herself to drive. Oh, wow. It was really interfering with her life and her activities. But once she stuck to the good sleep habits that I mentioned earlier, she was able to start getting six to seven hours per night, which was much closer to her usual sleep length. Um, and she was able to resume her normal life. So even though the sleep habits can be a bit of a challenge to establish and stick to, they're definitely worth it. I couldn't agree more. And you know, I just saw something the other day about how important getting outside is, the outdoors. Actually, it was a podcast and it was about how Most of the time, people are in their homes 80% of the day. And I just thought that was such a high number. But it was, the whole thought was, if you can get outside even a few minutes a day, how much better everything will be. Not just your sleep, but your life. What do you think about that, Heather? 
Yeah, I've heard that too, that, you know, there's benefits of being outside and in nature in terms of people's mood and their cognitive abilities, uh, maybe also sleep as well. And so that's certainly a really nice kind of lifestyle factor uh, that people could incorporate into their day uh, to help themselves feel better overall. I remember my mom yelling at us, get outside and get some fresh air, you know, as a kid. And <laughs> I think there's probably some truth to that. Absolutely. <laughs> and get out of my hair, too. I'm sure that was part of it. <laughs> and we also have an episode this season on mobility issues. And within that, we talk about fatigue. And we had mentioned on that recording that uh, we were going to be covering sleep issues. So if people are wanting to hear more about fatigue, Dr. Sean Smith is also covering that in this season. So I just wanted to mention that they kind of go hand in hand. Yeah, absolutely. Although we do know they're different. <laughs> they are, but, you know, good sleep is a really important part of combating fatigue. Absolutely. Last words, Heather, this has been so great. Uh, I love the rules. We'll put the rules on the show notes as well. I think, you know, in our society, people often sort of feel like they shouldn't need sleep or they shouldn't take care of themselves. And it's increasingly becoming clear that sleep is such an important part of overall health and wellness uh, that it's really important to prioritize sleep and get the help you need if, if you're not sleeping as well as you'd like to be. I couldn't agree more. Sleep is very important at our house and uh, it makes the whole difference in your next day, I believe. It does. So thank you for this. Yeah, thank you for having me on. I really enjoyed it. This has been the Marrow Masters Podcast. If you know someone who would benefit from the information in our show, please share this episode with them via text, email, or social media. Don't miss an episode of our show. Follow the Marrow Masters Podcast on Apple Podcasts, Spotify, YouTube, or wherever you're listening right now. To connect with the National Bone Marrow Transplant Link, visit nbmtlink.org or follow the link in our show notes. The Marrow Masters Podcast is produced by Jag and Detroit Podcasts.